Part five, Jesus is Lord, talking about discipleship. So this morning, I want to continue the, the discussion on the importance of prioritizing our lives as Christ followers, making Jesus Lord. And then from that decision to continue to do the things that Jesus would want us to do. And so in the first couple of weeks, I emphasized the fact that we needed to make sure that Jesus is Lord, that he's, he's the story. He's the one we represent. He's the one we love. I talked a little bit about following those that mentor us as they follow Christ and the, the gift that they are to us, but also remembering that it's about Jesus being Lord, that we don't make idols and icons out of people. And then this week, I want to get into the, the doing what Jesus would have us to do because real discipleship is, isn't just about having church meetings or Bible studies or things like that, but it is really about getting out there and doing the things that Jesus would want us to do. So one of the things or one of the phrases that I've captured over the last little while is this expression, follow me. We are required to follow Jesus. If Jesus is truly Lord of our lives, then he is preeminent. He's number one. Jesus said this a number of times to the, the original 12, as I'd like to call them, the, the first 12 disciples. Not to every one of them, but it's, it's, it's captured in a number of the Gospels where Jesus simply said this. And in this case, I want you to look at Matthew 9, verse 9. Still in the same chapter of Matthew, but just quickly look over at Matthew 9, verse 9. And you'll see there, as Jesus was, was kind of moving through the towns and villages, he eventually came to an area where the tax collectors were. This guy is sometimes called Levi, but more often than not called Matthew. And he says this to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. Now, I want you just to pause and think about that for just a minute. So let's say you're at the mall and you're getting yourself a hot cup of coffee or a tea or, you know, something like that, getting your favorite latte. And some guy comes up to you and says, or gal, follow me. In the 21st century, what will our response or reaction be to that person? I don't even want to think what some of you are thinking. If you've got small kids, you know, little red light goes on, creeper alert comes on. Like, there's no way we're just going to follow somebody randomly coming up to us and saying this, follow me. I don't care how holy or how godly they look, him or her, I mean, we're just not going to do that. I mean, that would just be really weird to us in 21st century. I'm not sure the spiritual dynamics here. I'm really not. Um, you know, I, I'm assuming there's a God factor in here somewhere. But Jesus says this to a number of the, the early disciples, the first 12. He says to them, follow me, and they get up and follow me. Now, remember, Matthew's a tax collector. Uh, he doesn't really have uh, an affinity to following, you know, somebody that might come across like Jesus as a, a rabbi, as, as a teacher. That's kind of not Matthew's, you know, friendship uh, group. He's a tax collector. Uh, he's working for the Romans, not really liked by his own people. And I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that Jesus actually said, hey, you know what, I'm interested in you, I don't know. But he says to him, come follow me. 
He says to all of us, and I've already spoken about this, he says to all of us, come follow me. But I want you to think about, well, what does that mean to you to follow Christ? Just you, not, not, not necessarily your family or your spouse, just you. If, if you were to read Matthew 9, verse 9, and you took out Matthew's name and you inserted your name, and Jesus called you by name and said, come follow me, what would that mean to you? Now, if you're already a Christ follower, I mean, Jesus has done that. It may not have happened that way, but Jesus has done that. You've been drawn by the Holy Spirit. You've confessed your sins. You've been born again by the Spirit of God, and you are a Christ follower. But not all Christ followers know what it means to follow Jesus. We have some vague idea. We think about, well, that means I should probably go to church. That's a good thing. It, it means I should, uh, you know, probably find a Bible and read it and try to learn it. That's a good thing. Uh, it, you know, pray. You know, uh, church people pray, so I probably should figure out a way to pray. Uh, you know, that's a good thing. Um, do good. You know, the Bible tells us that we ought to do good, so I ought to figure out somewhere, somehow, to do good somewhere. Uh, you know, some of that's probably in the church, but probably, uh, you know what, probably some of that's outside the church as well, beyond the church, and so I, sh I should do that as well. Oh yeah, and there's this thing called like living like Jesus, so I should probably figure out what that means to live like Jesus. So if, if I do all of those things, and I think I gave you five there to do, I guess that's what it means to follow Jesus. And I think in fairness to you, that would be partially correct. I think that's part of the story about what it means to follow Jesus. But I think what we need to do as Christ followers is, is we need to knit that together so that our life represents that on a daily basis. That there's kind of this cohesive spiritual life in us that we live out every day, sometimes without even thinking about it. So let's, let's continue the reading here. Matthew chapter 9 Verse 35, he's already gathered some of the disciples. He's already told them to follow him. So they're following him. And Jesus goes back to his hometown. He goes back to Nazareth, and he does some stuff there. Then he starts moving around, and I'm assuming in and around the region of Galilee. He's somewhere north of Jerusalem now. He's, he's ministering in and around the towns and villages there. We pick it up, verse 35. Jesus went through all of the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So, Jesus gathers his disciples, and he doesn't really say uh, a lot. There's not a lot of instruction early on here. He simply says, follow me. So he makes his way up to Nazareth. He makes his way up to where his mom and dad settled them, and he starts ministering in and around his, the villages there, his hometown. And he looks out on the people, and he recognizes that the people are really in a mess. And it's troubling him in his heart. 
and he wants the disciples to, to basically pick up the same burden here, that there's all kinds of needs in front of you if you will just open your eyes to see the needs. But Jesus also recognizes the fact that because there are so many needs, they're going to need a lot more workers. And right now, he's just working with 12. And so he says that they ought to pray that God would send forth more laborers. So what does a Christ follower do? What are his or her priorities? How do they make Jesus Lord of their life Monday to Sunday? Well, we need to see the things that Jesus sees. I think this is why Jesus took them out on an excursion. I'm going to call it an excursion. Uh, remember back in the good old days in school when you were younger and your class went on a class trip? Those were the best days ever, right? I mean, it was just so nice to get out of the classroom. And, uh, you know, the whole idea there was to expose you to something that you had never seen. Some hands-on activities, those kinds of things. Uh, I, I remember one of, the, one of the first ones I went to. is absolutely meaningless. But I remember they took us to a Coca-Cola bottling factory in Sudbury on, um, on Lawrence Street. That's, I don't even know if it's there anymore. Um, but I, the thing I remember is this, is we all got a free bottle of Coke at the end of it. <laughs> I, I remember we went to an A, uh, yeah, I think it was an A&W restaurant. This might have been back in the late 60s, early 70s, but it's the first time I'd ever seen a microwave. And they microwaved a hot dog. And it took, I don't know, 10 or 15 seconds, and I remember like, like outer space has come to us, right? <laughs> I remember... Uh, doing the field trips. Unfortunately, the field trips of the school I went to were basically across the road from where I lived, and there was the ponds and those kinds of things where we used to hunt ducks and so on. But, I mean, it was our back of the woods, but it, but it still got us out. The whole idea is see something, do something you'd never seen before. Jesus is taking these men back to his village, back to his town. It's not that they've never seen a town before. It's not that they've never been out in the villages before because, I mean, they lived among them, maybe different towns and different villages. But Jesus wants them to finally recognize something, something that's been in front of them their whole lives, especially as adults, but they haven't seen. So what does Jesus want his disciples to do to see, to understand? Well, first of all, you need to understand this, is we need to see what Jesus sees, and we need to do what Jesus does. So my, my first slide there is there are three things. What does Jesus see, and what does Jesus do? The first thing that Jesus sees is the people. Now, again, I know you might be sitting there thinking, well, really, Brent? Like, the people? Like, they're around people all the time. No, Jesus sees the people. You know what it's like when you're doing your normal drive, either it's, you know, maybe to church or maybe it's just to work or it's just off to the mall or that and you're doing your regular route. And because you've done the route so many times, after a while, you don't notice the details. You don't notice the houses. You don't notice the cars. You don't notice this. You don't notice that. Until one day something happens and you notice something different for the first time and you go, oh, I never noticed that. I've been driving by this you know, time and time again, and I never noticed that. Or sometimes you've been driving in your car and you've gone down the road for a while and you realize you don't remember the last five minutes of your drive. 
Yeah. There's this incredible ability either to, to like to put it on auto, autopilot, I don't know, or our mind does something, or we just block things out because we know where we're going and that's all that we're interested in is just getting there. But Jesus is going to take his disciples in and amongst his village and the villages around there, and he wants them to see the people. He wants them to understand their condition, and then Jesus wants them to work out a plan to minister to their needs. That's what Jesus wants. He's got them on this field trip because even though they are the people that Jesus wants them to minister to, they're part of that as well. The reality is, is that, you know what, they're kind of caught up in the moment now of just being with Jesus and seeing the cool things that Jesus does and this new change or new way of life where they used to be fishermen and tax collectors. Now they're following Jesus around and watching him do some pretty cool things. But Jesus wants to pass this on, right? Jesus knows he's going to be crucified. Jesus knows he's going to leave. Jesus knows that he and the Father are going to send the Holy Spirit to empower them to carry on the work. So he wants them to understand exactly what the work is. And the work is, and I don't mean this in a derogatory say, a way or in a pejorative way, but the work is the people. The people. It's not that the people are work. But people are work. But people are the work. And he wants them to see them because if they don't see them, if they don't see their need, they're, they're not going to jump in, so to speak. They're not going to carry the burden. And also he's hoping that they'll understand how, how large the need is so that they'll also enlisted other support because there's just too much for 12. So, what does Jesus see and do? As I mentioned, he sees the people, he sees their condition, and Jesus wants to minister and will minister to their needs. What do disciples see and do? What do we as Christ followers see and do? This is profound. We see the people, we see their condition, and we minister to their needs. Because followers of Christ see and do what Jesus saw and did. It may have all kinds of varieties over the centuries. But the bottom line is, is we're about the Lord's business. Remember, Jesus said, and, and, and I, I don't remember exactly who was in the audience, but he said that he only did those things that the Father directed. He only did those things that the Father wanted him to do. He saw what the Father saw, and he did the things that the Father wanted him to do. He was very narrowly focused on his mission. And he only did those things which pleased the Father. And so we as disciples in the 21st century have the same ideas in our heads, and our hearts, or at least we should, is that we see what Jesus sees, we respond to what Jesus wants us to do, and we do it in the way that he would have us do it. So let's look at the passage again here in Matthew chapter 9. He goes through all of the towns and villages in verse 35. And it tells us that he did a couple of things, that he preached the good news of the kingdom and that he healed them. He gave them a message of hope because he recognized that in that day and age, especially in those small towns and villages in Israel, that there really wasn't much hope. And so he presented to them the message of the kingdom of God. 
And then the Bible goes on to tell us that he healed every disease and sickness, that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, because he was who he was, Jesus was able to minister to the physical needs of the people at that time. But more importantly, verse 36 tells us the why. He did those things because the why of it is found in verse 36, that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like people without a shepherd. So you're on your way to work, you're in the car, you're on the bus, you're, you're making your way, you're going down the route that you normally do, you kind of got blinders on, you don't see everything, you're so focused on getting where you're getting, you don't even remember part of the route, but ooh, you show up and you go, wow, I can't believe I'm here already, I don't remember any of this trip. And then you go to work, or you go to the mall, or you go to the school, and then you ask yourself, well, what do I see? What do I see when I get there? Well, I see the building, I see the parking lot, I see this, I see that. You know what, I see my coworkers, I see the students, I see the teachers, I, you know, I see the desks, I see the, you know, the whiteboards, I, I see all kinds of things. There's technology everywhere, I see all kinds of things. Jesus would like us to see the people. Now, we do see the people because at lunchtime and at supper time, when we come home, we talk about the people. It's not always positive, is it? You worked with somebody that day, you know, wasn't really, you know, carrying their load. You felt like you had to do more than you should have that day. You know, maybe the people you were working with that day, maybe you work in retail, you know, and you've been working with some people today that have been less than pleasant to you, and our small groups have shared some stories about that. Uh, you know, maybe you had a boss at work, you know, that wasn't really great. Maybe you're a teacher that had students that weren't really cooperative. I mean, you know what? Um, we see the people. We see all of their dysfunction, and then we go home and we talk about it. But that's not really seeing the people. And just, just for a moment, any of them go home and talk about us. It says in Matthew 9 that Jesus saw the people and they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Well, let me, let me just comment on that. This is my opinion on this one. I, I mean, I've been around long enough that I feel like I've got some years behind me now to say this. I think as Canadians, as Ontarians, and as, you know, whatever, Windsor, Essex Countyites, I'm not sure if there's ever been a time, or just as a world citizen, I don't know if there's ever been a time where I felt like there have been fewer shepherds out there than there are now. I'm not sure how many people you and I look up to these days and respect as leaders. I'll leave that at that. These folk were harassed and helpless. It was the Romans who harassed them. It was guys like Matthew that harassed them with the taxes. They had no voice. They were treated basically as slave citizens. They weren't really liked by anybody. They, they were subject to the ebbs and flows of the Roman Empire. They were subject to the ebbs and flows uh, of the weather conditions and the climate in their regions, whether it was going to be a good crop or it wasn't going to be a good crop, whether there was going to be a drought or there wasn't going to be a drought. I mean, there was all kinds of things going on back in those days. All kinds of things. 
and they were harassed and helpless and they were like sheep without a shepherd now what happens to sheep without a shepherd yeah eventually they die they don't do well and so Jesus sees the people. Yeah, he sees the physical needs, and he knows they need a message of hope, but, but that's, that's all driven by the fact that he understands their true condition. So as Christ followers, we look out into a broken world. We've got our own Nazareths. And it might be LaSalle, it might be Tecumseh, it might be Leamington, it might be Windsor, it might be Essex, it might be Harrow. We, we've got our own Nazareths. And we can look as Christ followers out on the brokenness of our society and notice only their dysfunction and how crazy and mixed up this world is these days and how immoral and unethical the world is these days. And I'm not arguing with any of that. But we need to see the eyes through Jesus who sees them, the unsaved, as those who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus wants us to see the real needs out there. Jesus wants us to see the brokenness of society. Now, this shouldn't be too hard for us because I think to some degree, most if not all of us, right, have some measure of brokenness in us or have been working through some measure of brokenness now as Christ followers. Fair? We ain't got it all together. We're not perfect. We're not completely whole. We're new creatures in Christ and the Holy Spirit's in us, and, and we're, we're working our salvation out with fear and trembling. But we can understand the brokenness. If we can't understand the brokenness of those that are strangers to us, we can at least look in and around our family and our friends and our co-workers, and we can see the brokenness there, right? You've got unsaved family members and unsaved loved ones and unsaved friends and people you work with that don't know the Lord. And you know that they have this secular world view. They don't have a biblical worldview. They don't see the world through the eyes of the Bible. They, they don't have that hope within them. And so, you know, they, they basically feed on whatever they're told by the media or those in authority. And we adopt this secular worldview, right? That's, that's just kind of how we are. And, you know, there's, we've got brokenness with drugs and alcohol and uh, you know the pills that are going on in our society and marriages and families that are breaking up and the violence that we see out there and I mean my goodness it is easy to say that the world is harassed and helpless and it doesn't seem like there's a political or, or legal solution to this as much as we legislate it's hard to legislate holiness it's hard to legislate spiritual and mental health and proper behavior right it's i mean you you can make laws but that doesn't mean that everybody's going to abide by that stuff so disciples see the people we see their condition and then rather than just raise our fists to heaven and say to god god why did you put me here at this time you know, it's the 21st century, it's 2019, and this society is so messed up. I mean, oh, for the 1950s. I wasn't there. Was it good? 50s were good? 50s were good. Oh, for the 1950s. Well, I mean, the 1950s are gone. Uh, as far as I know, they're not coming back. And we have what we have. And so we, we, we can't just go, oh, I wish it was a different time, and I wish I was living at a different time. Karen and I have said this. Our oldest grandson's going to school this fall, which is shocking to us. Obviously a mistake, but uh, we don't get a vote. 
And we're like, well, I don't know, man. Schools these days, you know. If you're a teacher, don't be offended. Uh, I'll go ahead and be offended. <laughs> it's like I can tell you not to be offended, but then you're not offended. Um, you know, it's just, it just seems like a big, bad world out there, right? Four-year-olds. It just seems like a big, big bad world. So, like, you know, what's going to happen in the class and what are they going to be taught and the things that kind of jibe with us and, uh, you know, it would just be, yeah, be nice if it was the 1950s again, but it's not. And so we could look at the world and kind of just wish our way out of here or try to put ourselves in some kind of bubble where it doesn't affect us, but it will. But, but here's some things that Jesus wants you to do. Jesus wants you to see the world for as it is. And Jesus will tell you that the world is broken and it's messed up and it's filled with sin and people are harassed and helpless. And then he says this to us. Go minister to it. He said, I just showed you that there were needs. They needed hope and they needed healing. And I've been ministering a message of hope and healing to them. And, he, and, and that's great. But guess what, guys? There's 13 of us. And that's probably not going to cover the world. So go and pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. So we look at that, right? Verse 37. He said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Interesting with that, right? Interesting that he would say the harvest is plentiful because the stuff that I read tells me this. That North America is a really hard nut to crack, spiritually speaking, and especially Canada, because you ask Canadians are so laid back, right, and so secular that, you know, it's like, nah, you know, we don't, like, if you believe that, that's great, but I'm not interested in that, so, like, don't bother me with that, and we don't go to church anymore, and we don't read the Bible, and we don't, all, all these kinds of things, right? Very, very, very secular country now. And so, we look at it and we say, well, it's really hard out there. And, and I don't know, I guess it is really hard out there. But Jesus says this, let's, let's look at the harvest through the eyes of Jesus. And Jesus says the harvest is what? Plentiful. Now that doesn't mean that harvesting isn't hard work. Right, people who've worked in the fields? It's not saying that harvesting isn't hard work but nonetheless Jesus says the harvest is plentiful the problem isn't with the harvest the problem was with we have too few workers now I didn't say Jesus did now when I was really really young you know 15 years ago I can remember my brother Brian leaving Sudbury in the summer. Okay, now this is like this is back in the 60s, 1960s for the smart Alex. Okay, those of you thinking 18, Brian, 18. Okay, just so back in the 1960s, I remember my brother Brian. He's 13 years older than I am. I remember my brother Brian coming down to the Tilsonburg area back in those days to work in the tobacco field. I hear that's hard work. And I know tobacco is no longer popular, and I don't know how much the tobacco industry is still alive and well in Ontario, but I remember him doing that. 
Um, and I, I can remember a little bit of the stories just as a kid, him, you know, once that was done with, coming back home. Very happy to come home. Hard work, right? And my guess is that guys from northern Ontario went down to southern Ontario in those days to work because the harvest was plentiful, but the, the willing workers were few. It's hard work. I mean, I don't know what was involved in that, but I imagine back in those days it had something to do with bending over all day long in the heat. That'd be enough. So we understand that the harvest sometimes is hard work. But the issue isn't that there's not a harvest out there. The problem that Jesus addresses in Matthew 9, verse 38, is that there aren't enough of us out there. So he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. So over the millennia, this prayer has been prayed, and you and I are saved in here today to some degree as a result of that answered prayer. Because as I'm looking out among in this room here, amongst you folks, guess what I see? I see a whole bunch of workers. Not potential workers. It's my least favorite word in the whole English language, potential. I have no idea what that means. Workers. We've been saved by grace through faith, and Ephesians 2 and 10 tells us that the purpose of our salvation, other than to glorify God, is to go forth and do good works. We're called into the harvest field. Windsor, Essex, Canada, wherever it might be, we're not called to be everywhere and do all things, but we're all equally called to do our part. And you'll notice where he took them. He didn't take them to the synagogues. He could have taken them to the synagogues. Now, the Bible says that he did preach in their synagogues. It does say that. He would go in and he would teach in their synagogues. The Apostle Paul used this to some degree as a mechanism for evangelism. But where he took them was, is he took them to the dirt and the heat of their towns. And he says, here's where the harvest is. Workers go where the harvest is. So, understand this. As disciples who are following Christ, seeing what Jesus sees so that we will do what Jesus does. Understand this. That discipleship is simply not a program in church. I can teach you Bible knowledge in church. I can talk to you about theology in church. I can show you how I do things in a program at church. I can teach you roughly to replicate what I do in church or what somebody else does in church so you can begin to do that. There is some truth to all of that. That can be part of it for what happens in the building. But what Jesus is doing here is he's doing life-on-life life sharing. And he says this, if you want to be a disciple, you have to walk with me, listen to me, uh, pray with me, pray for the things that I pray for, learn from me, and then go and do what I'm doing. And all of that can't be done in a building called church. It's life on life ministry. The key to this is that Jesus went to where the people were. Jesus understood the discipleship of his 12 needed to have the dimensions of being with Jesus, going where Jesus would go, and doing what Jesus would do. Let me say it again. Being with Jesus, 
going where Jesus would go and doing what Jesus would do. We understand the first. It's one of the primary reasons why we gather together is to understand the importance of being with Jesus. We get something from being with one another and being with Jesus. We understand the importance of being with Jesus on our own time, cultivating our, our relationship with Jesus Christ. So sometimes that's in community, sometimes that's all on our own. But we can't stop there and tell ourselves, because we've learned to pray, because we've learned to go to church, and because we've learned a little bit of theology, that I'm a, I'm a solid disciple. We've got to do something with that. So the next stage is, well, going where Jesus would go. And what did they always say about Jesus? What did the religious people always say about Jesus? Jesus hung out with the who? with the sinners. And they mocked him for it. They said, well, you know what? If he was godly, if he had any spiritual sensitivity, he wouldn't hang around with those people. But Jesus says, and I said this already last week or the week before, who needs the sick? Uh, the doctor? The sick people do. And we're all sick with sin. So we've got to be where they are. Occasionally they come to us in our programs, those that don't know the Lord. Occasionally they do. But for the most part, they live out there. They work out there. They study out there. And so we would have to do what Jesus would do, would then be to go to them. So Jesus brought them to a town, and he said to them, his disciples, and he says to us, notice their condition. Don't judge them. Don't criticize them. Just notice their condition, harassed and helpless, like people without a shepherd, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he says to them, well, do something for them. Right where they are, right in their towns and villages, right in their workplaces, right in their classrooms, right in the mall, right in your neighborhood, do something for them right now. If they are willing to receive something from you, do something for them. And it's more than this. Hey, do you want to come to church? If we can't see that they're harassed and helpless, then we'll never reach out to them. We are more likely to see people harassed and helpless if we see them in their environment in which they live and play in every day. Look, look around the congregation today. Just look around. Don't stare at anybody, but just look. We all look pretty cleaned up in here, right? All look pretty good. None of you look like you have any real spiritual needs, any problems, no struggles. You know, if I just looked here, and, and I, I wouldn't think that, you know, Jeremy's having surgery, that there's a couple of families in our church that lost loved ones this week. It all looks neat and tidy, right? But if you go where they are, and you see them where they are, and you chat with them where they are, and even though we may not understand it all, and sometimes it looks a little messy out there, you're more likely going to see the needs than in here when we're all neat and tidy and cleaned up. It's hard to see and hear that they're harassed and helpless if they should come to join us. It's hard to have compassion on them if they come here because we don't really notice the needs. The needs are more noticeable out there. When you're out in the, you know, in the highways and the byways, 
and, and you see the beer cans and the beer bottles and the disposed needles and the this and the that, you begin to understand, you know what, there are some pretty serious needs out there. Some of us may not be qualified or competent to meet all of them, but we can certainly meet some of them. And we're reminded, although the harvest sometimes is hard, Jesus says this, that it's always plentiful. But you have to have the eyes to see. So this is, this is the, the, the thought that's taught for today. Proper discipleship means seeing what Jesus sees, going where Jesus goes, and doing what Jesus would do when he got there. The thought that's taught. Proper discipleship means seeing what Jesus sees, going where Jesus goes, and doing what Jesus would do. We have to be careful that as those that say that Jesus is Lord of our lives and that we're serious Christ followers, that we go beyond the periphery or the elementary stuff as is referred to in the book of Hebrews. It's not enough just to know some of the Bible or the Bible. It's not enough just to live a good life. It's not enough just to give to your church. It's not enough just even to volunteer on church in church. But Jesus brought the disciples out to the towns and villages to experience life on life. You can't see the needs unless we're out there. And we won't be able to do anything about those needs unless we're out there paying attention to all of the things that our society today is being harassed about all of the sin that is maybe not unique to our time, but nonetheless has its own context in 2019. So, when you get in your car today or tomorrow, or you're going to work, or you're going to the mall, or you're going to school, or you're just going to visit a friend, try to do this. Try to see what Jesus sees. Be willing to go places beyond your comfort zones in order to meet the needs that Jesus says that are clearly out there. And although they're difficult, they're plentiful. Because proper discipleship, being centered on Jesus... Focusing on Jesus being Lord means that his priorities become our priorities and his priorities are the people. Or as he lovingly referred to them in Matthew 9, the harvest. Let's pray.